Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Friday, December 3rd edition of the Basement Academy. Yes, we are live again. All right, our morning psalm, Psalm 33. Love this one. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth, he who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Psalm 33. Amen. And may your unfailing love rest upon us and thank you for your word, O Lord, that is right and true. Okay, some things I've been thinking about the last few weeks been engaged in different activities with the family and some other things at church. So during the replays, been thinking about things. I haven't stopped thinking for those uh, three and a half weeks or so. Um, so I gave you a movie recommendation yesterday. And so we'll give you time to watch that. Okay. Some of you might have watched it last night. That'd be great. I've been thinking about the truth versus the narrative. Let me try to unpack that a little bit. What I mean by the truth, I think, is just kind of what happened. Well, what did somebody do? What did a group of people do? What does that people represent? And how should we understand the nature of reality? What the thing in front of us is? What actually happened there? How do we understand what happened? 
what's the meaning or impact of what happened in a situation or is, or is happening, okay? How do we interpret the data? How do we interpret the facts? What are the facts, okay? What actually happened, not what we wanted to happen, okay? So truth versus the narrative, which is a story wrapped around what happened. And, and so the, the kind of the triggering thought around this, I've, I've been thinking about this for a while, but um, in the last couple of weeks, we had the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and verdict a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I'm just going to say right up front, I personally wouldn't want my 17-year-old son to be in a place like that. Okay, that's just, that's me, all right? But this young man deserves protection and freedom of our Constitution, okay? And it's tragic. It's truly tragic that two men are dead by his actions, Rittenhouse's actions, which the jury now has determined to be in self-defense. And so I was, I actually watched, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half off and on of, of the trial. It was, I found it somewhere and was just kind of curious about it. But what was curious is what you might read in different places hardly resembles what was going on in the courtroom, what my eyes were seeing. And so, you know, the challenge of the jury is to discern what are the facts of the case? Well, the facts of the case are, yes, he did cross state lines, but it, it, it's like living in Alexandria and driving across to Bethesda. I don't know, you know, living in McLean and driving across to Bethesda. You know, it's like 20 minutes away. Lived in one place, worked in another, um, had family in, in Kenosha. So he had a connection to that community. So he's not a, a vigilante riding in from, you know, afar. This is somebody who's involved in this community, okay? You wouldn't know that from certain reports. Uh, the, the gun was possessed legally, purchased legally, possessed legally is my understanding, but you wouldn't know that. And so what's interesting is, you know, the, the, the story, and, and I recognize this happens on both sides. Narratives get constructed. So if you watch a certain media platform, you'll hear one story. If you watch another media platform, you'll hear a different story. And that's what's fascinating to me. Okay, what happened? Well, we'll tell you what you, you should believe about what happened. We'll tell you what happened, okay? Don't listen to the actual testimony in the, in the courthouse. And so I happened to watch a portion where one of the, the, the person who got shot who was not killed, obviously he's there to, to, to testify, and he did, you know, point a gun and then the shot came after that. Um, you, so I was struck by that. Well, that sounds like self-defense. Now, again, I wish a 17-year-old wasn't in that place in the, in the first place. Just, again, I wouldn't want my son there, okay? You can judge me for that, but, but I wouldn't want my son there. 
Uh, I just think there's too much potential for, for harm. Um, but he was there. <clears throat> and there's drone footage and there's testimony of individuals. And so, so what got me there, how do we sort through what happened? How does a, how, how does a jury, right, sort through what happened and then interpret what happened in a manner that renders a verdict? And I thought, so what's actually on trial here is the truth versus the narrative, okay? That's, I think that's where I began thinking about this really out of the Rittenhouse verdict. And then I started thinking, well, the same thing's going on with the story of our nation, America. You have a couple of years ago, back in 2019, a release by the uh, New York Times of the 1619 Project, a series of articles slash essays by Nicole Hannah-Jones. It earned the Pulitzer Prize Award, but it basically puts forth that the founding of America was not 1776. It was in 1619 when colonists brought the first enslaved black persons, Africans, to the shores of this nation. Oh, the colonies at the time, right? <clears throat> that that he, he became the United States of America. And so the history of our nation is now the truth versus narrative. The history of our nation is now on trial. The 1619 Project is gaining ascendancy. Um, it has been awarded, you know, the Pulitzer Prize. Um, uh, it is uh, a curriculum has developed around that. And my understanding is a number of public school uh, districts around our nation have adopted that as part of their history curriculum. Okay. Uh, did sixteen nineteen is that when enslaved uh, Africans were brought? Yeah. So so let's speak to the facts. So let's speak to the facts. But is the Constitution and and is the reason for our Constitution and is the founding of our nation only about preserving the privilege of white people? and enslaving or oppressing all others. That's, that's the narrative around the 1619 Project. Now, I have not read the 1619 Project, so I'll acknowledge that. And so maybe I'm just buying into a narrative, but, but trying to listen or, or kind of through the two primary media platforms, one on one side of the kind of political, cultural aisle and one on the other, you'd hardly think they're talking about the same thing, right? And so the narrative gets constructed. What happened, how we interpret what happened. We'll tell you what you're supposed to believe about what happened. And so advocacy journalism is going forward. So is this a land of liberty and justice for all? And is our constitution uh, developed and you know written and then amended, right? Because it's amended over time. Uh, through legitimate process, legislative process, is, are we a nation of liberty and justice for all, or is this merely a systemically racist nation that seeks only to preserve privilege for one skin color of, of people? <clears throat> We've been talking about 
some of that stuff through our Critical Race Theory series. So I'll let you go back and replay those if you want to hear more about that. Uh, the evangelical thing, right? So we talked about evangelism, okay? Following CRT, we talked several weeks about unlearning evangelism as a part of that, the word evangelical itself. An evangelical is simply one who believes the evangel, believes the authority of the word of God, uh, believes in the centrality of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, etc. But evangelical is now a term that has, by the narrative, become kind of a politicized term. And I want to recover that for theology. And no, I'm an evangelical, gladly and proudly. And that I don't think that has anything to do with politics, okay? But the narrative is that it's evangelicals who have become kind of political hacks and political tools in the hands of one um, party per se. And so um, these are just three places, you know, a, a trial. Okay. You had the Ahmad Arbery trial uh, as well going on just after the um, Rittenhouse trial, but where, where you've got things that are happening in our world, you have people then speaking about the things that are happening in our world. And then you have the narrative that starts to form around interpretations and beliefs and and uh, positions to advocate around the things that are happening in our world. And so uh, you've got smash and grab robberies that are happening so the truth versus the narrative is going to play out around smash and grab narratives. You've got um, immigration issues at the southern border and elsewhere, but particularly at the southern border. There are facts, you know, people are trying to get here, and then you've got narratives around that, the economy itself, uh, the pandemic. Um, what is the science? How do we believe the science? And if things seem to be like a moving target, wait a second, I thought there was established understanding. And, I, and, I, and we grant that you know, scientific understanding develops over time, but what happens if the science gets politicized or gets uh, the narrative spun around it, okay? And so um, this is what I mean by the truth versus the narrative. This is significantly challenging. So I, I, it, I found myself thinking about uh, a passage in Revelation that's very difficult to understand. It's very difficult to understand. You have in Revelation chapter 13, a beast coming out of the sea with horns and heads and all this thing, 10 hordes and seven heads. And then there is another beast that comes out of the earth. And he had two horns, not 10 horns, but two horns, like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Ah, so this second beast comes out of the earth, had two horns like a lamb, so looking very innocent, but spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And that's a reference to one of the heads. 
And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Hmm. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Okay, so yeah, we're going to solve that one in the next couple minutes. <clears throat> no. I think I will do an entire series of Basement Academy on the book of Revelation. It's fascinating. I love the book. This is one of the more difficult and challenging portions of the book to interpret. It's very sensationalized uh, over the years. But what struck me as I was thinking about the truth and the narrative, what struck me was you've got this first beast that comes out of the sea <clears throat> that is this monstrosity. And then a second beast that is given power to speak on behalf of the first beast. And I'm going, isn't that interesting? And that, that I don't intend this to be political, in, in partisan political. But we have spokes people on behalf of the office of the president or the White House. We have, and, and again, this goes both ways, but you have somebody who tells you what the administration wants you to know and to believe. <laughs> and, and so we, and then you have the legacy media and you've got other media platforms. And so there are all of these very powerful entities who have power to speak, I'm pointing over here at my television, who, who, who show us images, they show us what they want us to see to help shape the narrative that we are supposed to believe. And so you have this second beast that performs great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven. And that convinces people to believe the voice of this beast. But it is this second beast is the one who puts the pressure. You cannot buy or sell unless you do this, unless you follow the narrative, unless you believe what we're telling you, you won't be able to participate in the economic aspects of our society. Now, here's a guy sitting in his basement in Haymarket talking about the beast. <laughs> what is going on here? <clears throat> So it sounds as crazy to my ears as it does to yours. But these were the word of the Lord is right and true. So whatever Revelation 13 means, it means something true. Now, am I suggesting that uh, Fox News or CNN or uh, uh, the White House spokesperson is the beast? I don't want to go there, okay? I'm not going there. What I'm saying is this calls for wisdom. That our world is such that there are entities that arise. <laughs> there are voices that arise. 
and then those voices begin to tell a powerful story that begins to shape reality and you got just folks out living their life free and slave small and great rich and poor we're just trying to live our lives out here but if you don't comply with the narrative there are consequences and i think this happens all over the place okay so in certain states, if you don't follow the narrative, if they're more conservative states and you don't follow along, then you'll be ostracized. If you live in more progressive communities and you don't follow the narrative, you will be ostracized, okay? <clears throat> I've talked about being a minority voice in our presbytery, in our denomination. You know, if I said certain things, th there would be, you know, there's, there's some pushback <clears throat> for the way we think about things, so... So this is the challenge. Who to, who to believe? Where do we get information about the things in our world? Is it just our media outlets, our papers? I was talking with a friend the other day. He said, just, I wish people just tell us what happened and let us decide about what we think about what happened. Don't, don't tell me what I'm supposed to believe. Tell me what happened and I'll work the rest out. So question is how do we keep ourselves free from lies and deceptions and delusions okay all this narrative all the spinning all the posturing that takes place how do we keep ourselves free from prejudice prejudging okay i don't mean just racial prejudice but how do we keep ourselves free from prejudging something how do we keep ourselves free from politicism just kind of lining up with one side of the narrative because both sides have narratives and there's probably a there's maybe 10 narratives that are out there. But how do we keep ourselves free from that? How do we keep ourselves from, it's all about the power, so I've got to believe this narrative and we've got to do these things because I want to have the power. How do we keep ourselves free from pride around all of that? That I know what really happened. I do not know what really happened. You know, be it with Rittenhouse, be it with 1619, what happened all those years ago. I wasn't around, you weren't either. You know, here's maybe a little easier for me to speak and say, hey, I'm an evangelical. Let me tell you what I believe and don't put this narrative on me. That one's easier, okay? But, you know, the pandemic, where did it originate and all those things, you know, the economy and on and on and on. How, who to believe around all this? So, stay grounded in scripture. The word of the Lord is right and true. Stay grounded in scripture be a person of prayer, daily prayer, stay grounded in these psalmic prayers, and we'll realize that this stuff has always been going on. It, it, there's nothing new under the sun. Remember Ecclesiastes 3? There's nothing new under the sun. What we're experiencing, there's always been this pressure to comply and to conform, and, and there's um, <clears throat> the world is always trying to squeeze us into its own mold uh, Romans chapter 12 do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind scripture prayer uh, weekly grounded worship that is centered in Christ and hymns and, and, and songs and prayers and sacrament stay grounded in these things we know to be true and then work out from there and stay humble and, and, and patient. So um, I think I'll stop there. <clears throat>
That'll give you something to think about over the weekend, right? <laughs> and we'll pick up next week with several other things I've been noodling about and wrestling about. And um, and the next Wednesday, we'll, we'll gather back for our discussion group. Again, always extend an invitation to join for our Wednesday discussion group, 3 p.m. via Zoom. You can come from anywhere that you can get on a device and you can <clears throat> be, participate in this uh, conversation. It's a delightful uh, group of, of, of thoughtful uh, friends. We call ourselves the bitter enders, those who watch these studies to the bitter end. So at that, let's close with prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for your word that is right and true. <clears throat> May it keep and preserve our lives. And thank you for the truth that we find through Jesus Christ. And so we cling to Jesus in the midst of a world that is deceiving and deluding and lying and trying to force us to engage in uh, acts of obedience to itself. We wish to obey the Savior alone. And so, Father, be kind and gracious to us in our homes, in our relationships. Make us wise. Make us wise and discerning. And keep us humble. As we pray in the name of the humble Savior who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Mm. May God deliver you from temptation and from evil and keep us from the evil one. May God protect you with his kingdom, his power, and his glory this day and forevermore. Amen.